send Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, church in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayer, tell the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when they do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been brother. For this reason, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to your duty. Yet I would rather appeal to you, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nutter that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you, that he might have they might have him back forever. And no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of our Lord God. Thanks be to God. It is gone. They've already gotten bored. Good. Um, so, friends, I stand before you today um, a, a poignant message. As Nick said this morning, this since the beginning of the week, and we are now not only speaking to reconciliation, because it's the book I speak on this week, uh, two and a half months ago, but because we are speaking in a moment where our is in mourning. And so this morning, as we continue on in this conversation, and we've been talking about all summer, small books with big questions. The question this morning is what does God desire for reconciliation in our lives and how do our relationships need to look the question on the table this morning? And so I come with a little emotional because the message that I've been asked to give is a hard one. It's a hard one times we don't realize, being as far away as we are from Charlottesville, that the touch acts of hatred and bigotry have on us. We don't feel them. We don't feel them in our privilege. We don't feel them as brothers and sisters in Christ to have a reaction. And shared a funny opening introduction and a prayer, and those are not going to be present in this place this morning. But a prayer from one of my friends of color and colleagues in theology I want to share too with you. She writes this. She writes, because this feeling that my own country has people who believe people like myself don't belong, and this is our prayer church. God Almighty, I pray to the God of all nations, the Redeemer of all races, and the Father of all children. I pray against this idea of hate. I pray and with lack, and I pray for all my friends, especially all those who are people of color, that you don't feel lonely. But Father God, we pray that as we go forth this morning, and by Paul to Philemon, Lord, that we would hear your heart. 
God, we pray that your spirit would be present in this place and that, that as the words that are spoken in this place come into our ears, let our hearts be transformed and our minds changed. May we become people that Jesus Christ. Go before us, we pray. Amen. Haven't heard. People watched my social media feed blow up yesterday as uh, protesters in Charlottesville marched a statue that stood for discrimination, for bigotry in Charlottesville. Um, their protests of free speech to um, the death of a woman as counter-protesters stand and stand to try in the hate that's being spewed forth. And the turn of that gets violent, and as it gets violent, somebody... And in the midst of this, Philemon is speaking to us a message of reconciliation to us, a message of reconciliation. And the hard truth today is that the reason why we, the reason why we experience this hardship in our world, in our life, is because of call sin. And we're going to talk about sin today. We have turned away from what God desires for our world and turned towards our own selfish motives sometimes. Acts of hatred and bigotry and hurt. But I want, to I want you to hear this, church. We are called to be a people who tell the story of Jesus Christ, which is a story of hope and a story of love for that which happened in Charlottesville yesterday was not, it was racism at its worst, and it was bigotry, and we have to name it for what it is, and it's uncomfortable, and it's hard. People who look like Jesus Christ, we have to proclaim a different narrative, a narrative of all people being loved by God. So let's jump into Philemon and see how Philemon is really thing. So the book of Philemon is interesting, it's short, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's 25 verses. We almost read the entire book. And it's only beat out for shortest book in the Bible by 2nd and 3rd John, which are very small books. Um, as we think about it, it's, it's just an interesting story. It seems like it could be a blip on our radar. As I talked in, with friends this week, people were like, the Bible is that? Is it Old Testament prophet? No. It is a New Testament letter from Paul to Philemon. Interestingly enough, was a very wealthy man in the early church. He lived in the town of Colossae, and as the church, that's happening in his home. With his wealth comes a big house, slaves, and a place to host church. The letter to Philemon was attached to the back, stapled, sticky note, hard to tell, 25 verses, uh, to the back. Of and so, when, as we think about this today, we have to remember that whatever Paul is saying, Paul is saying the other things that Paul says in Paul's letters. And so what is being said in the book of, in the book of Colossians, or the letter to Colossians, that uh, the things that we do in our daily lives matter, and in all of those things, they should honor God. From that, we don't know much more about Philemon. We do know, scholars suggest, that he probably, and in meeting Paul in Ephesus, heard the gospel, and the gospel changed Philemon's life. And also, as the story goes, uh, this letter was not only attached to the letter of Colossians, but the deliverer was one named Onesimus. We also don't know much about Onesimus, 
But we do know that at some of Philemon's, we don't know if Onesimus was a slave before Philemon uh, found Jesus or after, that at some point there was a falling out between Philemon and Onesimus, which led to Onesimus running away. And Onesimus runs away to Rome, where Paul's imprisoned, and he meets Paul there imprisoned, or if he was just serving the prisoners, as one might do. But while coming into contact with Paul, he also came into contact with the gospel. And out of his relationship with Paul, he becomes a Christian. And so, of Philemon, the letter to Philemon, it's Paul asking Philemon to reconsider. He says that he loves Onesimus, but he knows that there is something broken. Paul wants to keep Onesimus with him. He knows that reconciliation needs to occur in their relationship. This morning, as we go through the book of Philemon. We're going to see the ways in which to re-envision what his relationship could look like with Onesimus. And perhaps Paul is also encouraging us to step into reconciliation in our own relationships and to step towards justice. What's really cool about this letter, especially in the Greek, is that it's, it's a master's class in argumentation. The turn of the ways in which um, Paul uses different Greek words to mean synonymous words in English to help Philemus to shift an act, really a letter of persuasion. And so we're going to explore those today. We're going to explore those movements so that Paul is instructing Philemon to think differently about his religion. We're going to explore three of those movements today. The first is the reason why Philemon would change his mind it is from duty to love. The second movement is that Paul is asking Philemon to reconsider, and we're going to see a movement from useless to useful. And finally, we're going to see how Paul asks Philemon's identity, and we're going to see this movement from slave to brother. So we'll jump in at the top. I'm going to, if you want to track along with me, I'm in Philemon chapter 1, uh, Verse 7, to give a little bit of context, and starts with Paul reminding Philemon of the great Matin in him. And he says this, Paul says this to Philemon, I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Verse 8, for this reason, though I am bold enough in to do your duty, I appeal to you on the basis of love. So the question becomes, as as to move from making this decision to see Onesimus differently from duty to love, the question becomes here, what is the common denominator that they're both operating off of? What is the foundation? And the simple answer is, as it goes on in verse 9, Paul says, And I, Paul, do this as an old, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Prisoner here in the Greek is synonymous with servant, is synonymous with slave. To change the story. Paul is saying, look, I have a new master, and he's going, you know that you have a new master too, and so does Onesimus. And yet, this is, the, this is from all of which the rest of the argument can take place. And so, I want to take us on a little bit of a side journey, saying the reason is Jesus. 
I want to talk about that a little bit. Because Paul knows something. Paul knows something that is so clear. Jesus Christ. It's this truth that our theology impacts the way we inhabit. Our theology impacts our identity. And therefore, the way in which we perform our identity in the world because of what we believe about Jesus Christ. So to tell this story, to tell the story of reconciliation, to tell the story of really back to the beginning. So if you want to, you can follow along with me. I'm turning to Genesis chapter 1. And we know this story. If you're anything like me, read chapters. For every time I try to read through the Bible, I start here. And I've started a lot of times. And so I'm pretty one. And I bet you are too. But here's the story in a nutshell, right? In the beginning was God. Triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God existed. And in God's freedom and in God's power, God made a decision. God chose to create cosmos and the earth. God created the light and the dark, the land and the water, plants and animals God created. But God didn't stop there, for God created humanity. And the church, there's something here I want to draw your attention to, and I believe it should be key to all of our theology. And it's here in verse 27 of chapter 1. I'll read this for you. Humanity, the Bible tells us this. So God created humankind in God's image. God, God created them, male and female. God created them this morning. As we think about what's happening in Charlottesville, as we think about the relationships in our life, this is a keystone this morning. The first reason is that the Bible tells us that humans, all of humanity, was created in the image of God. A, one of my favorite theologians, uh, her name is Sean, Jesus and the impact that Jesus has on justice, social justice issues. And she writes this, <clears throat> human beings have intrinsic value and intrinsic dignity because human being the image and the likeness of God to have a distinct relationship with God. Human beings have a unique place in the cosmos, in our world that God created, are made for communion and relationship with other living beings. See, one of the great parts and one of the beautiful parts about being created in the image, created to replicate that which God mirrors, we're created to replicate and mirror the relationship that God has within God's self, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to be people because we are created to be in relationship. We are called to be in relationship with God, and we are called to be in, with, in relationship with others. But the truth that comes with that, and we see this in chapter 2, God created them male and female. Now, often we like to talk about this as it is, because we are called to partnership in all of our relationships. But what I want to draw out here, what I want to press on this morning is God created them to be different. They're different. And in that difference, God comes to fruition, right? For it is only in relationship with other that we can have a holistic and what the image of God is. For one person is not a picture of God alone, be a full picture of God. And in this perfect relationship that we're called to see what God is about. And we get to feel the love of God. 
Unfortunately, though, we all know how the story ends, right, Genesis? That in the midst of this perfect relationship with one another between Adam and Eve and with between Adam and Eve and God, relationship doesn't quite mean enough. And in the midst of that, Adam and Eve, they make a choice. They make a choice. Fruit, the one was not to be consumed. And in that moment, Adam and Eve choose the world instead of God. In that moment, as sin enters the world, two horrible things happen. First, the relationship between God and man. Because humanity didn't choose God. And second, verse 7 of chapter 3 tells us, that Adam and Eve saw one another. In other words, sin distorted the way that we see one another. And so what happened in Charlottesville, while brokenhearted, we shouldn't be surprised. Because it's sin at work that we see others that leads to this hate, that leads to this bigotry. And so we leave off on a fairly dark place, but I have good news. And so did Paul. Paul knew the good news. Philemon knew the good news. He stopped pursuing the perfect relationship with God's creation. Because God is in and attempts to be in relationship with God's people. And there are times where the Israelites do a good job at being in relationship with the world. And as they continue to choose the world over God, the relationship never fully comes to be. For the things in this world, God desires to be in perfect relationship with one another. And it's not quite happening. But here's in God's ultimate freedom and ultimate power, as one of my favorite theologians, I've said this quote before from Karl Barth, 20th century, God does not desire to be God without being in relationship with you. And that leads God to make a decision to step into that which God created. Let me read from you, for you from 1 John about this moment. 1 John 1, in the, with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Verse 10, came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him, but to all his name he gave power to become, listen, Become children of God. He who were not born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, know of God. So it's in this moment, this beautiful moment, where Jesus is born as the body of Jesus Christ, which is 100% human and 100% divine, that for the first time since the fall, come into perfect relationship once again with one another. You see, it is in this moment, it is the, in the moment of birth, that redemption and... And then we watch as Jesus lives out Jesus' life. And as Jesus sings, he touches the places he goes, the people he interacts with. The brokenness that he touches becomes as he heals, he redeems. And so I want you to hear this this morning, church. The presence of Christ, as we see it in the new presence of God at work. And so the actions of Jesus, as we see them in the Gospels, is the actions of God. See, the radical claim that's being made here is that 
when the word was enfleshed, when Jesus and all his humanity and divinity come together, this is God's performance of the human condition. God did. And so this is what the, this is the foundation from which Paul is consider his relationship with Onesimus. But see, in the, our reading in, in the letter, Paul does something else because he knows something else beautiful about Jesus. To your duty, for I know that we both know that the right thing to do is to seek and live our lives the way that Jesus did, which Onesimus differently. But yet, I want you to do this out of love. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Jesus didn't do what Jesus did because Jesus had to do it. God didn't do what God did because God had to do it. Live a life and die for us because God loves us, not out of duty, but out of in all of creation. And so Paul is caught reconsider his relationship with Onesimus out of duty, but out of love, love that he knows is growing in him, the spirit who live within him. So the first movement we see this morning is from duty to love. The second one we see this morning starts in this movement from useless to useful. I'm reading chapter 1, verse 10. I am appealing to you for my child I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. See, Paul knows something else about Jesus. Paul knows that as Jesus lived Jesus went around and changed the understand worth. For we see all throughout the Bible, we see all throughout our world that people, what something is worth, and then they name it as such. We see in the Bible, we see the blind, the lame man worth, the adulterer worth. In a human economy, an economy of works, these people are on the anything Paul knows that Philemon is living in a society and a culture where Onesimus is only, if he's one of the number of slaves that contribute to his wealth. And so on that level, because Onesimus is no longer his slave. No, he's useful not only to me, but to you. What I love here is in the Christos, and the word for useful is eukrestos. And scholars like to play around with these words because the word krestos, Christ. No other place in the Bible is the word a krestos used, but in fact only used and written here to which it is paired with, eukrestos. And eukrestos, where it's used in other parts of the Bible, is to individual to share and to tell the story of Jesus Christ. What Paul is in these words is to say, Onesimus has a new worth, the work and the life of Jesus Christ. We see this over and over in Jesus' ministry. We see them see, go to, the, uh, go to the lame and help them to walk. Go to the adulterer and say, be set free from the mistake. Jesus is doing this beautiful thing. Jesus is reminding them of their worth by reminding them of to the blind man, Jesus says, see that you are a child of God and an image bearer. To the lame man, see, walk, and walk in the courage that you are a child of God. And to the adulteress, see that you're not defined by your mistakes, 
or the ways in which your society, you are defined by the fact that you are a child of God, that you are an image bearer. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, Onesimus is not useless. Onesimus is useful because you don't get to decide the worth. You don't get to decide the worth of people. God has already decided the worth of people, and God did that in creation. All people were created to be image bearers. All people were created to be loved as children of God. Really, really beautiful part about this letter. What we do know about Onesimus is that Onesimus wasn't his original. He's been renamed to be Onesimus. For in Greek, so from useless to useful, Paul is changing our ideas of worth. To piggyback on that part of knowing that one's worth leads to one's identity, Paul makes this, this movement is from slave to brother. Listen as I read in verse 15. Reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved. I love this. I love this. The word here, perhaps, just makes my makes my mind one run crazy. Perhaps is working. Perhaps that the truth that we know in Jesus Christ, perhaps reimagine, re-envision the relationships that we have in the world. Reimagine the way that broken re-envision a truth for one's life that is not tied to what society says about a person from being an image bearer, a co-heir with Christ, a child of God. And see him as a slave, but rather see him as a brother out of love. This story. So later, in about 110 AD, which takes place after that Paul wrote this letter, we have a father named Ignatius. And Ignatius was writing on theology, and in one of his recession partners, one of the people who's influenced his theology, and he, and he mentions him as the bishop of Ephesus, place that Philemon met Paul and heard the gospel. And the bishop of Ephesus is none other than our friend Onesimus. In the, the, in the places in our lives where re- relationship can be reconciled, God gets to tell a different story for worth that God has set for each of us. And I have to speculate and wonder if after relationship with Onesimus, as church was being held in his house, if he didn't say, Onesimus, yes, you are God. You do have worth. Lead this church with me. Invited Onesimus into leadership of the church. Not only did Onesimus end up leading the church in Colossae, in all of Ephesus. It's pretty cool. And so this morning, the question, and I think what we see if we take seriously the Christians as we seriously pursue our discipleship to Jesus Christ, we realize that in partaking in in Jesus' ministry, in calling ourselves people of the cross, we are calling our reconcilers in the same way that Jesus Christ reconciled the world. For I believe and have to believe that who Christ was had something to do with and what humanity can be. We can be a people who 
We can be a people who see each other's worth. We see each other's identity. We see, as such, as Christ, as we too have the Holy Spirit within us, the way in which we live out our faith and the way we animate the way that we go about inhabiting the world around us, this will lead to in the relationships around us, relationships in nationality, relationships in economy in slavery, relationships in marriage, relationships in dating, relationships between men and women, we are called to see these things reconciled to the way that God intended for them. As Travis mentioned, we went to the global leadership before any of this happened in Charlottesville. And we heard a speaker whose name is Brian Stevenson, or have heard of Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson has spent more than half of his life seeking to right the injustice that happens in man happens for those who have unjustly been put onto death row. He's a lawyer, and he's seeking to make things right. Challenged the leaders at the conference. He said, there are four things that we must do to seek social justice if we're going to be people who seek reconciliation. And here's the truth. Yes, we are called to stand and call it for what it is and tell the truth of Jesus Christ in the midst of it, but reconciliation, reconciliation happens in our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our partners, with our loved ones. It happens with our enemy contact in our day-to-day -day lives, in our workplaces. The message here and the challenges that Brian provided in which we are going to engage in social justice and reconciliation. And so he gives these four challenges. The first, be close to that which needs to see justice, to that which needs reconciliation. I know that my natural inclination in places where things are hard, my natural inclinations, wife, and I've said something that I shouldn't have, is to turn away. It's to turn away and run away but no, to run towards. And it's only when I run towards my loved ones and I apologize and I seek reconciliation, that reconciliation, we must be people who run towards that which needs to be reconciled. The second challenge is this, that we must be a people, we must be a people to tell a different story. We must be people who look at that which happened in Charlottesville and say no the right story. But I do know the story. I know the story of Jesus Christ. I know the story in God's image. I know that no matter the color of your skin, no matter where you come from in the world, no matter, I know that you are a child of God. And we are called to tell that story. What Brian challenged us to do was to stay hopeful. Was to stay hopeful. Because the truth is, we heard, the, and we know that God will never give up on reconciling relationship back to God and God will never give up on God's people. We must be a people of hope. We must be a people willing to tell the story because the enemy of for it's when we think that there's nothing we can do, when we have no hope, justice wins. We must be people of hope. We must be people who are willing to step towards. Most difficult, but the thing that's inspired me to share this hard word with you this morning is that we must be people willing to do uncomfortable we must be people who will stand and say the story is different. Conclude this morning, my prayer for us is that we may be these people, because I want to be one of these people. I want to be a person who tells the truth and the story of Jesus Christ. 
who proclaims the worth of all people as children of God. And I want to be a person who's willing to do uncomfortable things, comfortable things. For it was in taking on all the human condition from birth to life to death and in made it possible for us to be in right relationship with God. We're up here this morning. And as they play this next song, there's a question for you in the midst of this. To think about the way in which the relationship between him and Onesimus could change. To ask yourselves and ask God, where does there need to be reconciliation in my life? Injustice. In what places in, as, am I being claimed the truth of worth and identity that is the children of God? And as you think about that, and as it comes to you, I pr- your response would be to move towards that place. That you would have the story and the truth of Jesus Christ in your heart that you would be, if it's uncomfortable, you'd be willing to move in that way. I desire and that we would be a church, others, as Jesus loved us. Amen.